Oh, hey, I'm so glad that you found us. My name's Michael, and I get to be the pastor at Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. You're listening to the It's Better When You're Here podcast, where every week we upload the messages that are preached at our church every Sunday. We hope by listening to this, uh, you feel safe, heard, and loved by the God that created you. We hope this message makes an impact in your life. If listening to this makes a difference, reach out to us and connect with us either on social media or on our website, shepherdsumc.com. All right, here's the message. Friends, to walk the path of justice is to be consumed with faithful love in a posture of humility. Friends, this morning we are continuing our series called The Minor Leagues. Last week we explored the story of Jonah. We talked about what it means to follow a God who is consumed with the work of redemption. Jonah is such a great story, isn't it? It has a fish, it has action, it has wailing and gnashing of teeth, and it also has wailing because there's a whale in it. Oh, boy. Yep, these are the jokes, guys. This is what it's going to be, okay? But this week, we continue our series talking about the book of Micah. You know, this week, we celebrate two holidays. Obviously, we've already talked about Father's Day, but a holiday that um, I was not raised to celebrate, did not really recognize until I was an older adult. That is the holiday of Juneteenth. And so as followers of Jesus, we get to celebrate two holidays today, and I think that that is really interesting and really important. And this passage of Micah is so perfect for Father's Day as it draws a clear path for us as we try to be the kinds of children of God who make their Heavenly Father proud. It's such a perfect passage for us because if we understand God as our Heavenly Father, we know that we, if we are fathers, we get to look at God's example and follow that. Or if we don't have a father that we can hold up as an example, we can look to God's love and see that example and follow that. And we know that as we celebrate Father's Day, we remember God's love for us as our Heavenly Father as well. The thing that I want you to hear today, the thing I hope you hold on to, the thing that I hope gets stuck in your head is this. As we walk, we must do justice with humility, all through faithful love. So as I said, I, I didn't grow up knowing about Juneteenth. Some of you, raise your hand, safe space. Is this the first time you're hearing about Juneteenth and you're wondering what it is? Okay, great. All right, that means that uh, we're explaining it a little bit better in internet and TV and, and things like that. But I, I didn't learn about it until I was an adult and not because it wasn't important. Juneteenth is a celebration of when institutionalized slavery ended in our country. Now, notice I didn't say when slavery became illegal. This is what really stuck out to me when I learned about this holiday. Juneteenth is a celebration of when the last enslaved Americans found out that the law could no longer keep them enslaved. And it was, friends, it was two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. There are a group of people that were being held captive, held enslaved in Galveston, Texas. And federal troops finally reached Texas to let them know that they could no longer be owned by another human being. This holiday is significant because it points out to us not only just the institutional you know, racial racism that we see around us, but also the history that is so important for us to remember. 
It's important for us as followers of Jesus that live in this country to understand the context in which we live. And Juneteenth is important for us to remember that. You might be wondering why why are we talking about it here in church? This is a civic holiday. Shouldn't it stay in the civic realm? Pastor Michael doesn't get political, and I don't. I don't get political for several reasons. Number one, I, I don't think my political opinions are very interesting. They're quite boring. And then beyond that, I love being a United Methodist because I know that I go to church with people I disagree with. I think it's beautiful that the only thing some of us might agree on is this right here, the bread and the cup. And even that, you might not be certain you agree with me on. I love that. I grew up in a tradition where everyone agreed because everyone was right. Everyone was correct. And I love being in a place where we can disagree. And yet, as your pastor, and I told you this two weeks ago, I have a sacred duty, and you might remember it. It is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I'll confess something. I don't know how to respond to the compliment. Great sermon today. And if you've ever told me that, all three of you, you see the look on my face of, I really want to say you too. Great sermon. You too. Like when you get on a plane, have a great flight. You do, you do that as well. I don't know what to say. But what I always come down to is this. If there's ever been a sermon that I have preached, and I pray that there's been a few, that have made an impact on your life, I can guarantee you this. Sermons that I've preached that have meant the most to other people are sermons that I am preaching to myself. When I stand up here and I preach to you, oftentimes you're hearing what Michael is struggling with. Luckily, I have problems that a lot of y'all do too. (laughs) And it makes an impact on your life. But honest to goodness, y'all, I'd be preaching to myself if I had to. Because sometimes this is the only way that God and I can have a good conversation when I'm preaching to all of you. And so why am I talking about Juneteenth? Because I need to learn something about Juneteenth. And as we walk, we must do justice with humility all through faithful love. Micah's passage is famous. This is a famous passage. Raise your hand, again, safe space, if you've ever heard this passage before. This is kind of a famous passage. This passage has been used in some civic realms. The Soviet Union, yeah, once handed a plaque to the United States with this passage inscribed on it. Ironic, I know, but it was around nuclear disarmament. The United Nations has a plaque in their building, and it takes this verse and mixes it together with Isaiah, talking about taking the instruments of war and hammering them into plowshares. There's those verses in the Bible. It's kind of a famous verse. But let's dive into what this passage is set up as. So Micah's passage is set up like a legal case. If you read all of the book of Micah, you'll see it as kind of like a court proceeding. The people of Israel are once again out of God's care, out of God's guidance, out of God's protection. And the people of Israel bring a case to the heavenly court, telling God all the ways that God has not taken care of the people of Israel. And like law and order special people's unit, came up with that just on the fly. Are you impressed? You should be. The case goes back and forth. God, you didn't. The people, you did not. God, you didn't. The people, you did not. And so we see this passage here as almost the culmination of this legal case. But it's also set up like an entrance exam 
There are these passages specifically in Psalms that you'll see where a, a pilgrim going back to Jerusalem will say, what is needed for a pilgrim to enter the temple of the Lord? And the priest would respond something to the effect of those that walk in the right way, those that pursue holiness, those are the ones that can come up to the mount of the Lord. And there's several of these passages in here, and this is what Micah is doing here. Oh God, what should I do? How should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burnt offerings, with year old calves? Should I give my oldest child for my crime? Perfect for Father's Day. Any other dads? I'm just kidding. And God responds, he has told you, old human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your gods. In Christ, there is no entrance exam. So we read Micah, we see what the entrance exam would be, and then we are reminded immediately, Christ has broken down every wall between us and drawn close to God. I think it's so important for us to remember this because so often, especially when I talk about other spiritual disciplines, prayer, reading scripture, dismantling uh, racism, social holiness, all of those important things, I feel like I'm so bad at them that why even try? I have been practicing Spanish for so long and I'm so bad at it. And it's because I, I'm so bad at it, I don't want to try. I went on a mission trip to Costa Rica with some of my students before we got on the bus. Uh, they said, all right, who here speaks Spanish? And me, like a dumb person, said, me, I do. And so they're like, all right, you sit up front with the driver so you can have conversations for the four-hour drive. I was like, yeah, easy. And I get in, and in Spanish, I say, hi, my name's Michael. What's your name? Are you having a good day today? And then we had silence for four hours, because that's all I had. I could ask him where the library was. He said, it's over there. I didn't know what over there meant, and, and it was a real struggle. But as we're driving, uh, I start seeing signs for, and for those who speak Spanish in the room, forgive me, I'm going to say this wrong, but a sign that said, Mil de Abeja, Mil de Abeja. I was like, oh, I know how to ask, what is that? So I asked the driver, what is Mil de Abeja? And in Spanish, perfect Spanish, he explains Something to the effect of, it's a thing, and, and, out, blood. And that's all I understood. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. Mosquitoes? They're selling mosquitoes? You know, I, unbeknownst to me, the Spanish word for mosquito is mosquito. And I didn't hear mosquito, but I, when I, blood, what do you think? Mosquito, right? You have my back. You, your silence is, is, is agreeing with me, I, I assure you. And come to find out, as we pass a corner, we see a fruit stand filled to the brim with honey, beautiful bottles of honey. And my driver, our driver goes, Mil de abeja, Mil de abeja. And I was like, oh, honey. And he goes, yes, silence for another two hours. <laughs> it's a great conversation. And man, if that conversation doesn't live rent-free in my mind, when I meet someone who speaks Spanish and then I feel like maybe it's the time and then I think, Mil de abeja, and then I get stung by a mosquito and I keep my mouth shut. And when we look at social holiness, when we look at personal holiness, when we look at disciplines, it can feel as if, oh, I tried that once, right? I tried to read God's word every day, and by day three, I just kind of gave up. I tried to learn about anti-racism in the world around me, and I didn't like the book that I read. 
didn't like the video that I watched, and I just kind of gave up. Or maybe I began a life of prayer, and I fell asleep halfway through my third prayer, and I just kind of gave up. Well, friends, in Christ, there is no entrance exam. And a life with Christ is not a reason to stay the same. You know, friends, we don't have to change our life in order to enter the room with Jesus. That old hymn, if you tarry until you're better, you'll never come at all. If you wait until you're better, you're never going to find Jesus because when we arise and go to Jesus, we are embraced and we are changed. So God does not promise us perfection immediately, but rather progress. And as we walk, we must do justice with humility, all through faithful love. And again, this brings me back to Father's Day and Juneteenth. My father never wanted me to stay the same. My, my dad and I, we, we suffered from the same ailment, or rather my, my mother suffered from this ailment, and it's the inability to say something nice. Any other men? You try so hard, and then all of a sudden you realize, like, oh, I just insulted the person that I love. Let me give you an example. So I played football all throughout elementary school and high school. There's a reason I'm your pastor. I wasn't great. I wasn't horrible. I was not good. And so my dad would, one of the great things, one of the great memories I have of my dad is he would watch me play football. My dad, when we lived in Boston, worked from 2 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's a bad schedule, right? And practice was at 5. So he'd come home, sleep for an hour or two, get me ready. And when I said I didn't want to go to practice, he went to practice. And he would watch me practice. He'd lean up against the fence and be banging darts just to stay awake, right? Those are cigarettes for everyone who knows. Marlboro Red. And he'd be, you know, just trying to stay awake. And, and when I was in high school, he would park by the practice field, and he would watch me. And I'd see his car. I'd be like, wow, that's my dad. That's so cool. He's watching me practice. It's so great. And one day, I get in the car. This is near the end of my career. He says, you know, Mike, I'm having a hard time identifying you on the field. Oh, why is that, Dad? He's like, well, what I used to do is I would just find the kid that didn't know what he was doing. And you were usually far away getting yelled at by your coach, and I would be like, oh, there's my boy. But now you're kind of, you know, you're staying with him a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate that. But within that was love and care and, you know, the inability to say something nice. But my father wanted me to change. He didn't want me to stay the same. He wanted to see progress, and he got to see it. God, our Heavenly Father, doesn't want to see us stay the same. Why would you want to stay the same? I love little 15-year-old Michael, but he had a lot of issues. And I'm glad 34-year-old Michael has been able to work out. And I hope that 70-year-old Michael can look back on 34-year-old Michael and think, man, what a dummy. I'm so glad that he's changed. And Christ looks at us with that same love. Our God doesn't want us to stay the same either. We as Christians, we're not called to be the same or to be colorblind. We're called to be anti-racist. For the longest time, and, and this is what I grew up being told as well, that, that being colorblind was the best thing that one could do when it comes to how we look at other people in our community. I have a friend who's colorblind, and the way that he sees the world is different than me. He doesn't really get what everyone sees in a sunset. 
Like, yeah, it's brown, just like everything else. Uh, it's black and gray. Why are, we, why are you so excited about this? But when we refuse to be colorblind and instead see racism and identifies the way that we can change it, we get to see all the beauty that we contain through our heritage. One time, a friend of mine made a foolish mistake and asked me if my family was from Quebec. Some of you have suffered through this already. My family was not from Quebec. Je suis Acadien. My family is Acadian. We don't have three hours, so I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But the story of the Acadian people is something that I'm proud of. I'm passionate about it. We have an Acadia Day. It's in August. And people that look, like, seriously, just like this, they all look like me, are all in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. And it's something that I hold on to, that, I, that I'm proud of. It's my heritage. And when we're colorblind, we miss out on that. But instead, when we pursue anti-racism, we're able to be an active part of our community and see the beauty that comes from all of the variants and all of the different cultures that we celebrate here in our neighborhood. And as we walk, we must do justice with humility, all through faithful love. What does it even mean to be anti-racist? How many of you have heard that phrase before, anti-racist? There was a book that came out by Ibram X. Kendi, uh, not a Christian writer at all. Again, this is that intersection between the civic world and, and the spiritual world, and, and it's an interesting book. Well, first, it means that we ourselves realize and come to grips with the fact that the racism that exists in our country is not ancient history. I have the first image of Ruby Bridges. Does anyone remember this story, Ruby Bridges? She's the first young woman to integrate in a school district in New Orleans. Does anyone know when Ruby passed away? She didn't. She's 68. That's very young. And some of y'all need to say amen, because you're close to 68, right? The thing is, Ruby, Ruby Bridges did not live in some far-off land. Ruby Bridges is pretty young. I didn't realize Ruby Bridges is two years younger than my dad would have been. Like, she is a young woman, and, and she was the subject of a Norman Rockwell painting. You may remember this. It's a little girl in a beautiful dress. And behind her is painted a racial slur as she walked proudly into her elementary school. This is not ancient history. And then we have to address how racism affects our culture now, how it still affects our day-to-day -day lives. Some of you have been lucky enough to sit and talk with you about things that you're going on in your spiritual life or maybe in your relationships with others. And one of the things that I'm, I'm so passionate about is to not gloss over problems. If you're lucky enough to get married by me, if, if I ever do your wedding, you'll hear this bit of advice that I give everyone, is never say that it's fine or it's okay. You've heard me bang this drum before, right? If your spouse tells you it's fine, the one thing it isn't is fine. It could be a million other things, but it ain't fine, right? In our own lives, in our own culture, in our own community. When we move on as if things are fine before they are right, they fester underneath the surface. You have a wound. You just keep putting Band-Aids on it, Band-Aids on it, Band-Aids on it, never address the infection below, you lose a limb. So being anti-racist, it requires us to look at the way that racism still affects our culture today. And lastly, we address the racism that we 
carry ourselves. I want to be really vulnerable with all of you today. I, whenever I've looked into anti-racism stuff, a lot of the times what I see, you know, people that look like me, white people, what they will say is, I don't have a racist bone in my body. And, and I know that I have said that as well. I know that I've said that. I know that I've felt that. I know that I believed it. And then I dove a little bit deeper. Pulled the Band-Aid off. The problem is a lot of times when they hear anti-racism talked about, they're, they're concerned that someone is saying that all white people are racist and no one likes to be painted with that broad of a brush. Amen? And so when I hear that, I decide to look at myself. And I realize that I carry racism. I realize that I carry the stain of sin. And I carry so many other sins as well. I carry the sin of gluttony. I carry the sin of dishonesty. I carry the sin of pride. I carry the sin of all sorts of other things. And one of the other things that I carry is racism. Friends, we'll never be made holy if we don't address the wounds we've been covering with Band-Aids. And as we walk, we must do justice with humility, all through faithful love. And why? Well, this is how I'll be able to devote my life to the God of the universe. So faithful love in this passage is sometimes translated as loving kindness. This is a love that's described as a love that one has for a spouse or one for a neighbor. If I had to put it in brutally specific Polk County terms, faithful love is the love of a neighbor coming over and saying, our freezer is still working, do you want some ice? Or it's the sound of of a chainsaw in your front yard right after a hurricane. Y'all know that feeling, right? You know that feeling of, of someone else having a generator and you thinking, I should have gotten the generator, and instead inviting you over for a little bit of air conditioning when the power is out. Y'all know that feeling? That's the feeling of faithful love, of loving kindness. And to walk humbly towards justice and loving kindness is to seek out the ways I need to change and how I need to change the world around me. John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Movement, taught social holiness. You know, how can I say my life is worth modeling if my neighborhood is a wreck? Let me say that again. How can I say that my life is worth modeling if I'm a follower of Jesus if my neighborhood is a wreck? My dad got to know quite a few cardiologists in his life, in his short life, but he had a favorite. I said, Dad, why do you like this cardiologist so much? He said, well, you know, he always tells me, you know, take care of your heart, don't smoke, uh, try to have less salt, cool it with the Whoppers, that sort of thing. And whenever he comes in to take my blood pressure, I see that he's got a pack of Marlboro Reds in his front, front pocket. <laughs> and my dad liked that. He's <laughs> like, ah, he, yeah. And my dad didn't listen to him. <laughs> he he, he might have heard this cardiologist said, oh, yeah, it's all these different things that you need to do. But he saw that the cardiologist wasn't modeling it. And so that we liked him as a buddy, he didn't like him, didn't listen to him as a doctor. I mean, how, how in the world, how in the world are people going to follow Jesus if the image that they have is of people that aren't addressing the changes they need to see 
in their own lives. Without a posture of humility and a focus on social holiness, racism and all the other sins in our neighborhood will continue. If we do not have humility and a focus on social holiness, we will not see our neighborhood change. So friends, today, as we celebrate Father's Day, as we celebrate our Heavenly Father who reminds us of the ways that we can change and we can grow, and as we remember and celebrate Juneteenth, may we be so consumed with loving kindness, with doing justice, all while walking in humility, that we might become the anti-racist wave that changes our neighborhood. All right, friends, I hope you heard something in today's message that made an impact in your life, helped you know that you're loved by God, and inspired you to do something about the gospel that is offered to you. Now receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.